Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by longtime friend of the show, Max Lentz, the one of the founders and what, what title do you give yourself? CEO. And CEO of Baltimore oh, Spirits. What's that? It's almost feels feels a little tongue in cheek sometimes. I it was funny. I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday that it it annoys me when people of like micro companies identify themselves as the CEO. So I might this mock guy. you. Well, you probably I mean you probably have some employees at this point, right? We have employees, yeah, yeah. We we have employees, and we're kind of set up to operate in a, in a particular style of communication and reporting, but it's mostly in preparation for being a lot bigger than we are. We just yeah. like, it's something we want to do from day one. So we don't have to like reorganize everything at some point when things become more formal. Well, yeah, I, w- I mean, I was talking more about like people who just like run a multi-level marketing company and then yeah. they'll, like they'll list themselves as CEO of like, they don't run it. They're just, they're like in the pyramid somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll probably mock you behind your back, but I'll give you a pass for calling yourself CEO. That's fine. As long as it's behind my back. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't finish the whole name. Baltimore spirits company is where you were the chief executive officer and founder. So is, is Eli at the distillery or is he hiding at your house? Eli's somewhere? at the so distillery. Gonna, okay. Yeah, I was there. Uh, I was there 15 minutes ago. Uh, and I made the last minute call to, to run home. We're, um, we're doing some construction work in the distillery because even though we're, you know, and I'm, we'll, we'll talk about it, but we're building out this new space and uh, we're still in typical BSC fashion doing some of the work ourselves. So he's in there routing wood and sanding things. And it was, uh, I decided this environment would be better for the internet. Yeah, that's not quite conducive to a uh, audio recording. I was looking forward to a good Eli cameo though, uh, but <laughs> just wasn't gonna work I, we've only scored one so far so i guess this will be the book. Yeah. um so how have things been going at uh how, how have you been operating through all this um it, yeah it's been man we'll take it from 12 months ago but we're essentially operate we've essentially continued to operate the same way which is as a bottle shop only i mean wholesale is still still doing its thing. Um, so that ebbs and flows a little bit with the restaurants opening and then closing and the kind of ebb and flow of, um, what cocktail culture is like out on the town. Um, but we wholesale regularly and then we just haven't done any tours or tastings for the public since March, 2020. Yeah, I guess, um, in other States where, um, you could, you've been able to have cocktail lounges for a while. I'm sure it was, much more detrimental, but in Maryland where that's a new thing. So a lot of distilleries haven't even opened that yet. Right. This probably hasn't hit distilleries quite as hard, right? I mean, Not, you, yeah. like there's a slight difference to how you can, your, your business wasn't really evolved around people gathering together so, at your, but I yeah. guess the restaurant part of it does. The restaurant part certainly affected wholesale, although you saw some of that stuff start to go out through liquor stores and cocktail culture in terms of like cocktailing at home become uh, a little more prevalent, you know, but right when you, I'd say 
you know, direct to consumer is still very important to us, but it wasn't in the form of cocktails. And we've been able to operate with the bottle shop the whole time. When you open a brewery at this point, you know, you're probably not going to open the next dogfish head and just go coast to coast and have wholesale be the biggest part of your revenue. It's much more about having a healthy tap room um, where the margins are good and the volume is good and it can support, you know, a good sized crew, even in a small, small brewery. So I feel like most of the time, people who are opening breweries, say in the last, probably at this point, six or seven years, probably opened with the concept, uh, with the, the hard numbers showing that the kind of most important revenue was going to be through the tap room. So I think that that was a very different thing that they can't be open in, yeah. in their normal way. Whereas for us, um, we're excited to add that stuff on, but the original business plan, and certainly in Maryland, distilleries business plans, um, you know, now it can change, but when we started, uh, we're not based around cocktail revenue in-house. So, um, completely unrelated to you owning a distillery, uh, but you did live in the beer world kind of when you worked at restaurants and bars and it was just, uh, I just want to pose this question because of the thing you just said, do you ever, do you think any brewery ever will make it to regional or national sized again? Like it seems um, unlikely. Yeah, I think you might see the kind of random dart hit the bullseye with the right gimmick branding or ownership, or you know maybe if like a celebrity gets involved at the ground level and you know, um, yeah, when I don't get, know who. When like, I feel get... like the obvious choices are 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 already like own own tequila or gin brands. So. I was just gonna say like they've already like once they get bored with wineries yeah, like, and spirits. Merrill yeah, Merrill Street <laughs> Belgian beer um, can be the thing. But I mean, you know, maybe something like that, if it had like a lot of publicity pull that already had a nationwide impact because of the people behind it. But I think, yeah, I think the days of starting a brewery, brewing good beer, and really it's getting to where it's hard to move out of your own city or state. Yeah. You know, like there's too much local competition. Most people's beers are essentially just operating on the same quality level. Um, it's not like it was in you know, 2004 when good beer was hard to come by and, uh, getting a microbrewery into your liquor store was a big deal. And then that's all, you know, you just buy the dogfish head cause that was the new hotness and it was everywhere. Uh, and, but I yeah, think, I think and I think it just, it's so much more profitable to focus on getting people to come to you to, for those tap room well, sales too, that it it's viable, right? I mean, it's, it's viable to do that, but Certainly not as profitable as moving a million cases across the well, country. Yeah. You know, but, when it comes to it. and yeah. I think distilling setting that way too. Uh, and I wonder um, if there's just like there's not even that many people that have that goal too, because there's um, like when I talked to Kushwa recently, he specifically said like they have a size in their mind that's a little bit larger than what they are now that is sustainable where they can. Like they can be happy and comfortable. The living they want to make. Yeah. yeah. And then if they went any, like, and then going bigger could almost be a step backwards until like with the capital outlays to hit that next level, it can almost be detrimental. Yep. I do. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So how, uh, what's the footprint of distribution that you have? Cause I, the last time we talked, you, I think you had just gone through a decent amount of growth of getting into other States. And that was, you know, I think the last time we talked was 2019, which was the last time we did expansion. You know, we had hoped to enter into some new states in 2020, but didn't for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, 
and honestly, the out-of-state stuff that we are selling now, we didn't really focus on growing in 2020 either because normally I'm the guy who's taking the trips out there to do the hand selling and training other distribution teams and stuff like that. So all that was kind of off the board for last year. So we basically just put a pin in it, but we're still the same footprint. So we're in um, four West Coast states, California, Arizona, Nevada, and Washington State. Then we're in Louisiana and uh, Illinois. And we're in Washington, D.C. and Maryland. Is that based on like that's where you wanted to be or is that based on dis- like just distribution where the, the distributors of those areas are who you were able to contact? Because I mean, it's just uh, the it seems like very. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a patchwork, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, patchwork. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's good reason for it. Um, there are two types of account we're in. One are places we really want it to be. Now, with our spirits in general kind of um, concept and execution, we really like to work with uh, cocktail programs and, um, you know, places with kind of developed cocktail bars and stuff like that. So cities like Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, um, those cities were, were actual targets. We really wanted to be there. Uh, now that being said, we didn't go out and reach out to distri- distributors in Illinois. We had a distributor in Illinois fall in love with us at a trade show and take me out to dinner and try and get us to join their book. And, and it was a good fit. So we did. Uh, and that is not unlike how we did the, all the West Coast. Now, West Coast was really just supposed to be California and Washington. But this distributor worked in four states and they were just like, y'all want to be in everything. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, so now we're in Vegas and uh, Phoenix, all sorts of weird places. Um, I imagine Vegas is a good place to sell alcohol. It can be. I think it's harder well, for not right now. Brands, right? Like it's a, <laughs> the, I think the small craft guys from Baltimore are not getting bottle service at the Bellagio, but yeah, probably uh, not. We'll yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Louisiana, we went down for tails and, um, you know, you kind of import your stuff through a distributor for tails of the cocktail and our distributor really liked our stuff and was moving into the spirits world. So, uh, wanted to start distributing it. So we said yes there too. And obviously, New Orleans as a great cocktail scene, kind of historic cocktail scene. Um, so very cool to be down there. Um, yeah, so it's it's very it is purposeful, um, minus a few kind of uh, fell into it things. But we're really happy to be where we are. Um, when um, when you're expanding to other states and cities, is there more of a focus on like restaurants? or bottle shops or is it just regular distribution where it's just you go to the distributor and they just try to put it everywhere yeah i mean we'll we'll take what we can get but our general strategy is uh, start with the restaurants and the boutique liquor stores that do more hand selling to try and create just kind of a ground level relationships that can be meaningful over the longer term if you go into you know a chain like specs or Benny's, depending on where you're at and nobody knows who you are in that state, unless you just have some sort of genius marketing branding or something like that, probably nobody's going to buy your stuff and it'll end up in the bargain bin. And that's basically the death bell for you in that market. So, um, so we kind of shy away from the biggest, uh, liquor store accounts when we first enter and we kind of want to make, uh, make sure we get the right customers first and then concentrate on kind of a broader swath. You, you need someone to steer customers towards your product in the sea yeah. of well-known brands already so we love that boutique shop where there's basically one guy who does all the buying and he works six and a half days a week and the customers you know he knows all his customers by name and yeah. points them at the cool stuff 
that's our that's our guy. Because I, I think it, it was it's probably even you who I've had this conversation with about how how different the spirits world is compared to beer, where like the macro distillers they're not known for making a crap product. They've been making yeah, high quality. That's my quali- field okay. that you're taking. <laughs> I say that. Okay. Do you want to say it? Just no, for no. You, you, <laughs> but uh, yeah, different different thing. And beer's not like that either anymore. That's why it's like there's so much local competition in good beer that like you know you don't just come in and say people want good beer, so you have to get this. It's but in the distilling world, it was never like that. Even when there was one micro distillery, you know, the early days of the craft distilling scene, you had. Um, you know, products that, in my opinion, was was someplace. You know, not across the board, uh, and there were a lot of great distilleries. But I would say, even still, sometimes there's a crisis of quality in craft distilling. It was kind of the opposite thing of beer, where the yeah. craft dudes, were, by virtue of being small and making interesting beer styles, doing better beer than the big guys. Distilling is harder to do well, and the the companies that have been doing it for a hundred years, Beam and um, you know, I mean, all those guys uh, from even and the ones in Europe and the ones in Japan, just across the board, these guys have celebrity distillers who are, you know, yeah. you want to go to a master class with these dudes to learn anything about it. Uh, so very different people to compete with. Um, so you're really kind of finding your values different. And now beer is uh, doesn't have that easy in anymore anyway, because they're not competing with the big guys anymore. Now it's all craft competing with craft. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there are definitely some very bad craft distilleries still. I've had some, thankfully, no, I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show. No, everyone, thankfully, everyone who's ever been on Uncapped, I genuinely like their product. (laughs) But uh, at festivals and stuff, I've definitely had some very bad, (laughs) uh, product. It's out there. It's not hard to find, um you know, we want everything to be good. It's only good. It's not good for our industry to have people, you know, giving, giving it a bad name. If somebody tries some bad product, they are uh, reluctant to try another. Uh, so it's not like we enjoy being, you know, yeah, being better than some of the other people we wish they were all as, all as good. All right. We're going to take a real quick sponsor break. Um, and then when we get back, um, I don't know, we'll figure out something to talk about. So we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, on spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. 
Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So, um, one of the last times we talked, uh, we talked about how Braden Bumpers uh, that was disparaging the Dutch because you did that. He dislikes, uh, he dislikes the Dutch. It's well yeah, documented. Yeah, in uh, multiple times on this show. Um, and you guys did that uh, awesome Jennifer collaboration i think don't you guys have something else in the works right between mcclintock and us yeah or maybe there was another one that came out or maybe i'm just completely wrong and no 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 there was a second one that's right so we talked in 2019 where we had the the first jennifer come out so we had exchanged whiskey low wines and distilled our different gin botanicals into the other person's whiskey half of that went into barrel half of it came out white so in 2020 uh, the aged spirit came out okay. of barrel. That's uh, what it was. Yeah. Thankfully, so same spirit, different age. Thankfully, uh, one of us has a good memory. Um, but all that was to just tell you about how I shaved his head last week uh, for a charity thing with Whitey's in uh, where is Whitey's? What town's that? I don't know. Uh, I, I know the place, but yeah, I can't can't <laughs> name the part of the state. Um, so during a live stream for them. And when I saw he was doing that, I called him and I asked, asked if I could be the barber just because I thought it would be fun to shave Braden's head. Was it? Yeah, it was. Especially because Tyler was there taking pictures, making fun of him the whole time. And Did you do a, a patchy job on purpose? I cleaned it up eventually. But yeah, I went, you know, like one stripe down the middle and then just the sides first. And then... Absolutely. Unfortunately, his hair wasn't quite long enough for it to be fully effective, but then I tried to leave him a mullet, but it... <laughs> a little rat tail? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, But I, he said he was going to go to the barber the next day to get fix any damage that I had done anyway. <laughs> so I should have just left the little nub yeah, on the back. Play with that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it would have uh, come around. So... Um, one term that you've used a couple times, and it was something I hadn't thought about throughout this was, uh, cocktail culture, which I, once you mention it, like mixology and cocktails, that probably does drive a good portion of spirit sales, right? Yeah. Um, and it, and it happens on a bunch of different levels. So you know, on one level, if you make a $5 bottle of vodka and you're able to effectively get the bars in your area or over the nation to switch from their no-name vodka to your no-name vodka at a similar price point, you convince them there's something better about doing it that way, you're going to move, I mean, a lot cases, of vodka. Yeah. Cases, and cases of vodka through those, through a bar, um, you know, over a week's time or a month's time. So there's kind of that kind of volume. Then there's like the $30 bottle of whiskey at a place that doesn't call out the spirits on their cocktail menus, but just the clientele is definitely ordering a bunch of old fashions in Manhattans. You're going to move a ton through there. And then of course you get more boutique stuff like, uh, you know, our smoked apple brandy is not going to light the market on fire. Um, but, but it can light some cocktail bars on fire if they're like, the the real gnarly craft places that are probably calling out the spirits they're using on the menu um, and people are in there to try interesting stuff and it's really uh distinct <clears throat> geographically what bars can get away with what so even if you go into um 
you know, more rural Maryland outside of the bigger cities, outside of Annapolis, Frederick, Baltimore, uh, the cocktail bars there, even the ones that are known for cocktails, uh, like can't use mezcal, for instance, because no one will buy a cocktail that has mezcal in it because they still associate mezcal with like worm in the bottle, how people huh. thought about it in 1998, you know? Um, and, but you go into a city and mezcal's boring. So smoked apple brandy that's distilled like mezcal, that's like the way more interesting for bartenders to kind of work around. So there's a broad spectrum of what plays where, but, but kind of cracking that code, bartender relationships, making things that, that are interesting. You know, we've always considered our company as, um, being part of the artistic fabric of Baltimore. We kind of, as much as we're scientists, we consider ourselves artists and, you know, in that kind of food creation kind of a way. And the real creative people in the industry are bartenders. You know, those are the kind of creators. So it, it speaks to us culturally to work with the creative people of the industry who get excited about trying new things, um, because certainly that's uh, part of who we are and that, that's reflected in our products for sure. Uh, so it's all, it's all kind of part of our more broad zeitgeist. But cocktail culture, not not all distilleries kind of want a part of that because you speak a very different language when you try and work with that culture as opposed to uh, being a direct-to-consumer kind of mass appeal thing, you know, and that affects what what spirits you make and how you make them and how you brand them and, and all that. Is it possible to live in both worlds or do you yeah. kind of have to go down a path to... Nah, it's, a, it's possible to live in both worlds and some, some spirits are going to naturally be better suited to, for one versus the other, you know? So ideally, I mean, for us, we imagine kind of a trickle down effect where you start with bartenders of the most of the kind of best and uh, most well-regarded bars in an area, have them fall in love with you. And slowly that trickles down into that top level client base that understands spirits a little better, that wants to do cocktails at home and pays attention to what's on the menu and that that stuff proliferates. It's just a bit of a longer road when you're doing niche spirits like that, like say Szechuan Amaro or um, smoked apple brandy. But something like Epic Rye is, uh, you know, we we price it in such a way that it's still very appealing to bars um, to work with. It adds, it presents a lot of value at its price point that you don't find in other places. A lot of uh, flavor profiles you're not getting out of other ryes by virtue of the mash bill and the yeast and the style of distilling that we do. So it has a lot of value that a creative bartender would want to use it because they still want to use whiskey. Yeah. But of course it's rye whiskey made in Maryland. So it's Maryland rye. And that is going to speak to people that, that are whiskey enthusiasts. And that's a big group of people. So we do products that live in both worlds for sure. Um, yeah. How, um, how has uh, bars and restaurants being shut down almost completely in some areas for parts of times and being greatly restricted affected cocktail culture has it shifted it to be more of like an online thing or has that always been like i'm betting it's big on instagram it's big on instagram and it and it already was but it's i think it sped up something we already thought was happening so we've kind of had a little catchphrase for the company since the first year, which uh, we kind of we kick it around in Instagram posts and you'll you'll see it pop up in some of our marketing material. The bar is where you make it, which is uh, very much about cocktailing at home. It's about, you know, you don't have to necessarily go out to have a great drink. And so you've already kind of there was already this culture of bringing nice cocktailing and cocktail parties back into the home from just being out. And, um, and I want to change kind of like 
about to go off on a real tangent here. Um, I mean, do it. But, we got time. We're, so, we're, we're limited only by your time. Um, great. Can we do this through Monday so I don't have to do anything else? <laughs> so, so the bars were remaking. So that was already there. During the shutdown, we dug in hard on that. So if anybody who's listening wants to check out our YouTube channel, I started doing cocktail videos. And they started off as Instagram live videos where I would do something live two times a week. Um it was great. I would write a different theme song for every week. So I'd come onto the camera and play some stupid jingle about what drink I was making. And then <laughs> I'd make a drink. That was a lot of fun. Then I started doing pre-recorded ones. I, um, I standardized our jingle uh, for the different, different cocktail series things I was doing. And we'll be doing more of that. I would encourage everybody to please, please go follow me on YouTube. I want to do a ton of fun stuff there. We're basically just waiting for our new space to get finished building out because I don't have a place to film right now. Um, but but we started digging in and we, we got a lot of real positive response um, from that. So I think it was heading that way anyway. And I guess the tangent I was going to go off on is people act like cock they, people take cocktails for granted right now, for granted. Um, make sure nobody accuses me of saying that wrong. <laughs> um, it, but it really hasn't. It was a it was like the early 2000s in which you were starting to see the very first cocktail bars that brought back prohibition-esque cocktail culture. Um, drinks like The Last Word, which can be found on a million different cocktail menus from coast to coast at this point, was first put on a was like found in an old book in 2001 and put on a cocktail menu in Detroit. And then like went to Seattle next and is now famous all over the country. And you can't, you don't even put that on a menu anymore because it's too basic and people can just ask for it if they want it, you know? So it's really only been back for like 20 years. But if you remember, I mean, even in my time bartending, it hasn't been back that long in Baltimore, but kind of that's when it started creeping up in the country. But even from when I was bartending, signature drinks were, you know, two parts strawberry vodka, one part vanilla vodka, juice off the gun, um, and top it up with Sprite or something. You know what I mean? Like they were not, it's not what it is now. And cocktails I'm, were the very first thing that America was known to do better than the rest of the world. So there's like a famous piece written in like the late 1800s that a European writer came over to check out this new American culture. America had been around for a little while. They wanted to kind of see what was what. And they basically concluded that basically anything America was doing from clothing production to the making of shoes to um, to cooking, to all this stuff was not just not as good as it was in Europe yet. Uh, except for the cocktails, those are better. Uh, <laughs> it, was really, it was the very first thing that we were ever famous for. And it was a huge thing. in a lot of the drinks that are, that are now, um, standards and considered really high level are drinks that were invented in America 150 years ago, uh, that people just discovered in old books because it had all been Cosmos and Mark and like bad martinis since the eighties. Uh, so it hasn't, people take it for granted that it, that it's something that w will always be and has always been, but it's a new thing. And there are still a lot of places in the country where it hasn't really hit or taken yet. And they are slowly warming up to the idea of, of more, uh, adventurous drinking. So it's easy when you live in a city to kind of try new things, blah, blah, blah. But other people haven't seen any of these drinks and are, are put off by something like tomorrow like a bitter spirit is why would anybody do that so it's a it's a very much a developing culture and an ongoing story so 
it's just starting to be something that is more common to be done in the living room where you can, you know, it was only 10 years ago where you were going out for a cocktail, the first cocktail bar in town that was doing nice things. And it was a revelation. So it takes a while before that stuff comes home yeah. with you and you feel, and you could just feel like you can make world-class stuff in your house. Um, but we're getting there. And that's definitely, that was a huge, uh, advancement of that project. That's something we really want to happen and we think is inevitable. So it was a, it was definitely like really moved the timeline on that becoming commonplace, uh, in 2020. Yeah. The, um, so, so it definitely like sped up the home cocktail making culture. Yep. Yeah. hundred so, percent. So cocktail making was done while the sourdough bread was rising and the, uh, can't remember the other stereotypical things that became really popular. Uh, a number of things. I don't know what it was with gelatin, but it was, you know, you'd know something was up when you went to the store and they didn't have an ingredient for like two months. Yeah. So it was, yeast was one of the first things, right? Like dry active yeast yeah. or whatever. Um, and gelatin was sold out for like six months in all of Baltimore. And I never figured out Why, what, what were they were... doing with it. That's weird. I know. It was, was Jello a thing? I don't know. I I never saw anything related to that. Now I'm going to have to look. I'm making a note to look that one up. I literally tried to. I couldn't figure. I tried to Google it. Couldn't figure it out. Um, in house plants, apparently during this, house plants became huge. Like there's there's uh, certain house plants where the like the prices of them have skyrocketed. I believe that my. Uh... I had some house plants in 2019 and, and my quarantine experience was I let them all die. <laughs> uh, it was like, I was much better at keeping them up in normal life when I, you know, we all had our own year long quarantine journey and I'm yeah. sure we all went through a lot of phases. And at some phase in the first four months, the only thing I could keep alive was myself. And I just <laughs> gave up, I gave up on the plants. Uh, like, so I, I can't had, handle uh, this responsibility of keeping I plants really alive. I couldn't handle anything extra and um, <laughs> I had a few plant fatalities for the first time in a long time over the year. Yeah. We're not, we're not a big uh, house plant household at the Sands residence. Actually, I don't think we have a single one. It just seems like we, we have two kids to keep alive. I don't need the responsibility. Oh, yeah. of. All right. We're going to take um, one more quick sponsor break when we get back let's talk about your new project that you have going on there are many reasons why i've chosen district east for where i purchase beer i love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap the friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand you can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. 
Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. All right. So I, it was, what, 2019 that the laws changed, allowing cocktail yeah. lounges? So um, you're going to open a cocktail lounge. Yeah. Are we back? Or, yeah. Or are we still oh, yeah, yeah. We're sorry. No, we're back. Oh, oh perfect. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't make it. Normally, I make it clear, but because I had to, now it's just a big old mess because I had to explain it before because I'm a horrible host. Uh, yes, we are back. Um, uh, okay, just let me know when we're back and I'll start. Oh, we've been back. We're back. I'm not editing any of this out. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, extra work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we've touched on it. We've touched on it like five times now, but that is, uh, that is the big upcoming news. Yeah. We, um, we spent 2020 basically closed to the public and just thinking about when we reopened, how we wanted to reopen and what we could do better, be better, what, how we could use the year kind of away from the spotlight to improve all the space. And uh, there's there's a lot of things that are going to be different this year about BSC in terms of how we release things and stuff. But one of the biggest things is that we um, committed to some more space inside the Union Collective. So same building, different room. And we are about 90% built out on uh, the Baltimore Spirits Company Cocktail Gallery, which is uh, first and foremost, our tasting room and cocktail lounge. Um, and it's kind of built around a very cool art gallery theme. I've already mentioned how we kind of consider ourselves consider ourselves part of the artist community in Baltimore. So this will be a really cool direct connection to the visual artists. So the lighting is literally a, an art installation by a light artist. We've oh, got cool. wallpaper. Cool. Yeah, it's it's gonna um, it's incredibly photogenic uh, and also just gonna it gives so much cool vibe to the space. It is uh, the space itself physically is gonna blow people away. We've got wallpaper designed by a local artist. Uh, a wall explicitly is gallery space for a bunch of framed work. And then, did you you came to the original distillery once or twice? Yes, once. And then you remember that giant five panel mural that was over the brew floor? Yeah. Um, so we, we never really had a space for that. And I don't expect we ever would have had space for that again since it was, I don't know, 12 by 50 or something, or some ridiculous size. So we cut it all up into strips and then we randomized the strips and we mounted them on these square boards and framed them in gold and poured epoxy over them. Oh, and cool. so now we've got these cool like it's a cool throwback to the original artwork of the space. And that's the bar front. Um, it's awesome. We've got a, a great bar manager coming in. Uh, we're, it'll be a cocktail bar mostly at night. So kind of 5 PM onwards. I don't think there are too many people who are going out to, uh, you know, do cocktails at 2 PM on a Tuesday, certainly some, but, but not a ton. Um, and it's all, there's kind of, it's multifaceted, right? So it's a big deal that we're doing a cocktail bar. And of course, we didn't used to be able to do it. And now that the laws are changed um, and we found ourselves in a position to take the time to do it right, we're super excited about getting that open. Uh, but when we also open during the day when we run our tours, um, 
they're going to be very different as well. So I actually haven't even put out the email blast on this or posted about it. I've referenced these tours in a handful of places, but this will be the first time I kind of give a public spiel. Breaking news. This is breaking news. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to do it here first. Um, you really pressured me into this. Chris. <laughs> I normally have to harass stuff out of people. Thank you for uh, making the virtual uh, arm twist. Broken news on on your place a couple of times with like pro- random products and stuff. But <laughs> um, so the tour historically we've only done tours on Saturdays and they were free and they were kind of pop in at the top of the hour. Whoever is around that wants to do a tour, we do a tour. And that's fine. And we've done five years worth of free tours. So if you never got a free tour out there, uh, listeners, um, that's not my fault. It's been five years. <laughs> five years to come do it. Um, but we're we're not going to do that anymore. And rather than doing kind of the most casual tour possible, that free, semi-unscheduled, um, wander around, talk about stuff, ask me questions, uh, we're going to do about about a, the biggest 180 that we can. They're only going to be complete experience tours. So they're going to take about 90 minutes. Um, you'll sign up. Uh, you'll sign up before you come in. You'll come in at your time. You'll be greeted with a welcome cocktail in the cocktail bar. Uh, you'll chill. Uh, then we will kind of present and teach you a little bit about not only the history of distilling in America and the kind of what whiskey is, but the history of rye whiskey in America, where Maryland fits in with that and where Baltimore Spirits Company fits in in the history of Maryland rye. Uh, after we kind of do a little classroom stuff and you've had your cocktail, we'll go leave the cocktail bar, go down to production, do a full production tour. We'll talk about distilling. We'll talk about how we blend our whiskey, um, bottling, you know, the, the whole shebang. And we don't have the tasting room in the distillery anymore. So that's really a just a production space. And it would blow your mind to see how many barrels we have in there at this point. But we are just stacking barrels to the ceiling all over the place. That's one of the reasons we had to move the tasting bar out because we needed the just room. Need barrel space. Barrels. And I guess uh, so kind of serendipitous, uh, it wouldn't have been yeah, useful I mean, anyway. All, <laughs> it's funny, I'm, I'm sure that something was, uh, yeah, something was bound to happen. And, and this is all, you know, all things considered, this is working out okay. Uh, provided we ever get open. Um, so after the production tour, you'll head back to the tasting room. And uh, when you get back in your seat, there will be four glasses of whiskey put out, um, which would be four different versions of Epic. So the four post epics essentially that we have available at the time. So there may be a regular epic and then a Laphroaig barrel finished epic, sherry barrel finished epic, and the maple syrup barrel finished epic. I love that one. Um, The maple is great and we've got got more of that coming. You've never had the Laphroaig and it's ridiculous uh, if you like scotch. Um, So you'll try them all. And then on your little bottle hang tag, which will be there, you would write down um, how you would blend them together to make your kind of ideal version of Epic uh, that you would want. So maybe you want half maple syrup, just a little Laphroaig and the rest sherry. Great. Uh, then we'll actually blend you that bottle. Uh, you'll put your hang tag on the bottle and you will leave with your own custom blending of Epic that you did yourself, um, which is cool. So you get to blend a number of different whiskeys that won, you know, that have won some of the biggest awards in the country, which is awesome. Um, so that's super cool. So you come in 90 minutes, a big tour, a lot of education, tasting and blending, and you leave with your own custom bottle of whiskey. And that is the only tour that we are going to be offering anymore is going to be the full experience tour. That's really awesome. Cause I mean, I think for the most part, at least, I and mean, I also have, 
maybe a different experience when I go places just because of the world I live in. Um, but I think if, if tours don't have a large education part of it or then like at, or a very large experience part of it, which you're ticking both of those boxes, it's kind of useless. I get, cause especially when tourism, like alcohol tourism has become so big, you can only attend so many things and care anymore. Right. You don't want to, I mean, having differentiation is something, you know, you want in all, all facets, but we would like really our visitor experience to be a real product, something with a lot of value that's worth coming to and worth yeah. people's time that, that is exciting, not just kind of a byproduct of having a distillery, you know, where you kind of, you got to give tours. That's what you do. Show people the stuff. Cause yeah, once you've seen say three distilleries on a casual tour, you're not seeing anything yeah. new, no matter whose tour you go on. So we wanted to do something different. We wanted you to leave with something very cool and bespoke. We wanted you to give, to give a more of a kind of real life experience of what it's like to blend whiskey and, um, you know, what that life is really like a little bit, uh, and spend good time in the cocktail gallery, take advantage of the new laws and let us kind of use those laws creatively and create something that, um, you know, doesn't really exist in that way yet. So we're super excited about it. You had me sold all the way through the first part and then adding in the getting your own custom blended bottle of whiskey was that's, I think that's going to really draw a lot of people in. Yeah, I hope so. Um, we're excited to have, I mean, man, I might, I might actually cry the first time someone's having a drink in our, in our bar with our stuff like that. That's going to be a real moment, but hopefully we get to just have a, a bunch of people who want to do it because we're as excited about kind of giving that experience to people as hopefully as, as people are to take it. So who, um, who will be giving the tours? Um, it'll depend day to day. So, uh, Whitney, who you have met, um, is our kind of tasting room manager. We'll be doing a lot of the kind of visitor experience stuff. Um, Tim, who has worked for us, he was our first first employee ever to do farmers markets and stuff, uh, has been doing kind of tour guide work for the better, you know, about a decade. And, and he's part of the team, so we expect him to be involved. Um, and of course, uh, Ian and me and Eli are, are all going to be part of it at some point. But uh, I'm not sure we'll be there uh, every weekend like we used to be. We might take some weekends off at this point and try and create a, a good experience that doesn't require one of two people to to be there to make it interesting. You've probably earned it at this point. I hope so, man. <laughs> or at least Eli has. <laughs> That's right. How, do you have the price point for that worked out yet? 50 bucks. I That's cheaper than what I was expecting it to be. I mean, that's... Yeah, I think it's a... Uh, that's a that's a, a chunk of money and we and we kind of appreciate that and we think we're giving the experience to match but we think it's a, a high value for that amount of money we think it's uh you're getting every penny's worth of that fifty dollars um so we think that's really cool well, i mean like uh, uh you can buy a bottle of whiskey that co costs close to that much so the rest of it's kind of just icing yeah it's a fact um is the the bottle is there going to be anything special about the bottle or like the label It'll design or? yeah so there are 375s so that's the kind of we're not releasing post epics the way we used to this year because most of it will go into this blend your own experience and we need to make sure that we have a sizable backup of all the post epics because we don't want to have to stop giving tours because we only give one kind of tour and we don't have the whiskey yeah. blend anymore you don't um, have the so, one ingredient that really is required right 
so we used to do um, post epics that were $60 a bottle, right? That's what all the maple finish and, and all the finishes we've had were. So now we will have a limited release of the 375s that are $40, um, but most of it will go into that $50 tour, where, which is also your own custom thing. Um, so it, it'll be a little different. They don't make miniature versions of our whiskey bottle, so we have to make a different branding decision for the 375s. Uh, so I've got a bottle picked out, but the branding's not done, but, but it will be physically different. It'll still be epic. It'll still, it'll still have a, the BSC vibe and be identifiably epic rye. It'll, uh, but the bottle shape will be different. I loved the wood, um, anniversary, uh, Thank you. packaging. That, uh, that was a high pressure branding experience for me, uh, because it was such a special bottle to all of us involved that it really had to look the part and feel the part. Everyone had to be happy with it. And of course, on the other side, it had like the consumer had to see it and be blown away. So like we were just, uh, I was super excited about that. And of course, the, the spirit in that bottle, that four-year bottled in Bond Rye was really excellent. I was, that was really good. Yeah, I can't remember what prevented me from getting one, but I was disappointed in myself. Can't. We have some bottles that'll... Uh, they will end up in the cocktail bar. So we'll definitely have some like historic release stuff there available by the dram. So, you know, I'm just, I'm a sucker for really good packaging. I love, I, I love packaging. If, if I had artistic ability, that's probably what I would want to do with my life, but I don't. So the best is that I am not an artist, although that was one of my quarantine projects, try to learn how to draw. It's ongoing. Um, but uh, it's it's great to have a job where I can work with designers and tell them all of my ideas, and then they make it look like they were good ideas. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm real smart. That's yeah, good. that's exactly but what I meant. Good at their jobs. <laughs> so, do you have um, any kind of estimate on when? So, are is is the cocktail lounge still under construction, or is it waiting for? like regulatory type of issues to open um a little from column a a little from column b so we are in the very very end of build out we should probably have our uno as a just a, a regular distillery tasting room within two weeks maybe if everything goes normally which it never does but but maybe two weeks um so the build out is really close to being done the Cocktail license, the way the law is written, the local liquor board has to approve class one distilleries to do cocktails. So you don't just get to do that as class one distillery that we will likely see those uh, licenses go through late May, early June, um, which is probably about when we would feel good about really opening up full bore anyway. I mean, one, yeah. one can hope and we'd really when we open, we'd really like to really open. That's kind of um, best case scenario for us. So we'll see whether, you know how everything pans out, but that's kind of, ideally we'll be opening with no restrictions at a time when that is a normal thing to do. Um, and I, hopefully that's late May, early June, but hopefully people can come in and check it out as a bottle shop and buy all their bottles out of there within like two weeks. Okay. Which is awesome. So Excited people get a sneak peek of what it looks like. And cause the, um, few little, snippets that you've posted on Instagram. It looks like it's going to end the way you've described it. It looks like it's going to be really cool. It's going to be, it's going to be something. I uh, can't wait to get people in there. I will definitely have to make a trip out. 
I like these chairs. Oh, the uh, with the lions. Yeah. Or the tigers. Sorry, sorry. Tigers. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind Some of big cool cat. Um, cool tiger chairs. The lighting is great. Wallpaper is great. I think the wallpaper is in the uh, the tiger chair. Yeah, photo. it is. The that's and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've only basically put out teases so far, um, but we're almost at the point where I'll bring our actual photographer in and get some some good space photos to uh, put out there. I had one more, at least one more question. When and what is the next E.B. Smith Singularities? Uh, all right, so I did. I put some notes here in case uh, we ran out of things to talk about, and there are a couple product things on there. Um, so here's things we're working on. I don't know if these will end up being singularities or whether they will end up do it. Oh, hang on. Hi, you're live with Chris on uh, the uncapped oh podcast. I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. You're already on again. <laughs> All right. There's Eli's cameo. Um, there's Eli's cameo. All right. Um, so a couple we of things suckered we're him on one more time. What's that? <laughs> we got, we suckered him on one more time. Um, so I don't know if these will come out as singularities or whether they'll be full product releases because some of the things we're definitely want to use in the bar and it would be more convenient to have full size bottles and stuff for that. But we are working on a summer cup version of shot tower, which, uh, a summer cup is basically what PIMS is. Uh, so PIMS, if you've ever had a PIMS cup is a, it's a gin liqueur with, um, I think they use red current and we are using black current. And then you also macerate a number of different kind of fresh, uh, citrus peels and stuff in there. So we're working on one of those. We are doing a new, uh, Baltimore, which we have a number of different iterations of it going, but, uh, a tropical Amaro. And that's all I'll say about the tropical Amaro. No, I we, want to know more. Is that What's mango? That? Does that have mango involved with it? I, I to, I'm not saying anything else. So it does that mango? Decisions that need to be, there are decisions that need to be made. There's a couple of different versions floating around. Okay. Um, we might release a two-year bourbon by the end of the year. That might be a really early 2022 thing. But I think we're going to release a bourbon at two. And then the next, some maybe by the end of 2022, release it at three. Maybe how, how, what goes into the decision making making process of that? Like, is Meaning it just like each other and yell things at one another about things <laughs> we could do? Sometimes the other one thinks it's a good idea. But um, I mean, like, wh like whether you should aid something, like, is it just based on you tasting things and be like, this is done or we, we taste on the way. So the bourbon, I typically would think a bourbon needs three years um, I have been convinced that the two-year product is will be incredibly good and memorable at two by tasting it at six months, a year, and a year old. It's uh, already just, it's so good in the barrel. Uh, I expect that at two, it's a legit product, but we do really want to target older ages. So we the way we distilled it and just where we distilled all these things, we realized we could put out the two-year once and that doesn't really delay the three year from coming out the next year. Okay. 
So it'll be fun to do that, give everyone kind of a very small batch. You know, it's going to be one or two barrels, um, a very small peek at what uh, BSC Epic Bourbon is going to be like, and then have a more aged up version on the heels of it about a year later. Um, so that'd be cool. Limited. You use, do you use larger barrels or do you use the smaller 33 gallon? We only use 53 gallon barrels. Okay. Does, so that's the large ones. Um, is there any limiting on how long you can age some like bourbon by like if it's smaller or larger is that doesn't matter? No. Um, you can age something for a day in any barrel and call it bourbon. Uh, it turns into straight bourbon at two years old. I meant more of like just a like a taste white. Like if if it's a smaller yeah. barrel and you let it go longer, you're going to start. It can end up being problematic. Yeah. Okay. So the small barrel thing is tricky. There's a reason we've never used them. Um, you do get better surface area contact to the liquid inside. Um, so all the vanilla and oak tannins that you're going to pull out of there, that will happen faster. But there's a much slower chemical reaction that happens inside the barrel that doesn't even start for six months uh, and then can take seven years to complete, which you don't always necessarily need for it to complete before releasing the whiskey. But it definitely is that thing that changes white whiskey into fundamentally tasting like something just inherently different. It's like a chemical flavor compound change that changes a flavor to a different flavor as opposed to just being additive. So small barrels are really good at the additive thing and you can get all the vanilla you need and all the oak you need in six months, but you're never going to get that extended amount of time thing. And if you leave it in a small barrel for the amount of time it takes, say two years to get uh, something that's developed in that other way to a meaningful amount, you're going to be way over oaked and way vanilla, like over vanilla at that point. So um, there's some sort of compromise in our eyes either way. So the 53 gallon barrels, you can age it for a long time. You're not going to, you know, if you release it too early, you're not going to have enough vanilla and oak and stuff. But uh, the idea is to kind of hit the perfect amount of both uh, at the right time. And and to us, that just takes a couple of years minimum. So what's the next size up barrel from 53? In terms of like American whiskey barrels, there's not really one. They are okay, 53s are full sized and okay. that's what it is. But when you start getting into like sherry casks, and wine casks and you know things they you might add you might age scotch or calvados or something like that and they go from you know 60 gallons is pretty typical for something like a sherry cask um and a lot of wine casks and then of course you can get up into like huge hogshead you know walk-in casks um which are cool is there science behind the 53 gallons or was that just that's what they ended up yeah, making. Historically, it just kind of whittled its way down to that size as standard. Yeah. They didn't know if it was, they determined that that was the right size for the length of. No, no. I think that's uh, probably fit in something. It could be it's probably <laughs> like shippable, you know, it's rollable by a yeah. person can make it on boat decks. Cause this is barrels really came about because they were, um, a good way to store liquid. You know, we didn't have plastic or metal yeah. containers that were reliable and certainly no plastic historically. So, um, wood because it expands and seals up and it's poor and it's like poor, not porous enough to let water through. That's how you would move wine around and even water and catch water from rain and stuff like that. So it's really proud. They're probably just manageable bit, like as big as they can be and be manageable. And the difference between a 53 gallon barrel and a 60 gallon barrel is not very big. You can you can eyeball it and tell, but it's uh, they kind of 
functionally and fundamentally seem to be about the same size. I bet there was there was something that it needed to fit through, and that was the maximum Maybe size that it. Roll it through a door. It's about as about as wide as a doorway on its side. Yeah, I, I bet yeah. there was like some part of a You're ship right. that had a standard a size. Really functional reason. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up. Not right this second. Well, I'm gonna do the search so I remember <laughs> I to read it. But, yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, I forgot that. Is there is there a special name for the new tour program, or is it just um, the tour? Undecided. Okay. Soon, yeah, I don't know. Soon to be when named. Yeah, it's just going to be, it'll be, it won't be all that creative. It'll, it'll probably be, you know, the blend your own tour experience or the whiskey experience, whiskey tour experience. I don't know. It'll have the word tour and experience. I know that. Well, um, in the show notes, it's going to be called, uh, blend your own tour experience name TBD. (laughs) Let's write that down. So I don't have to listen through and find it. Um, I still have an unopened bottle of that first singularities because I love the way those bottles look, and I don't want to yeah, open it yeah. and ruin the. Um, we do have we do have more of that in barrel, different beer. So that was like a mixture of distilled beer and beer wort. So mm-hmm. we actually have a new version of that in the pipeline at some point. We have more smoked pomo, which we might uh, infuse with a botanical before releasing this time around. I actually started that test batch this morning. Um, but the smoked Pomo was, I think singularity number three or four, if you had that one, but really good. Um, so there's, there is stuff coming for sure. We worked on a, uh, Fernet cream recently. So we have one match of Fernet cream, which is remarkably good. I don't know uh, what that is. Well, it doesn't exist, but you know, our, oh, okay. our Fernet, all tomorrow volume one is Fernet, And this is the cream liqueur version of that. Okay. And turning it into a cream liqueur. And it is, uh, that seems to be a, um, trend growing in popularity with craft distillers. I think people are figuring out they can, that they can do it. That it's not, you know, you basically just put cream in a thing and this, yeah. you have to get the right to keep it from breaking. None of them are shelf stable. Okay. If anybody so, tells you, so it's like, um, they just haven't let it sit long yeah. enough. So they're uh, like the fruited sour of the distillery world. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So eventually they're going to, it's going to like curdle or solidify or, or get gross. But I think the right, if you blend them right, you probably have like six in between six months and a year of shelf stability there, not in the refrigerator, probably a little more in the refrigerator. And it's not like the, the milk spoils because the alcohol keeps bacteria from growing, but, but uh, it's a little tricky. So it's something we would do in limited batches, maybe just for the bar, or maybe just make sure it's explicitly clear that, if you buy this, you better drink it. It's not permanent, um, but it's cool. It tastes real nice, uh, and it's there's really nothing like it. So, got some cool stuff coming. Is there a shelf life to whiskey, gin, or not really? Um, if the bottle is sealed and full, drink it a hundred years later. It's fine. You'll 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 definitely die first. Um, so, if the bottle is mostly empty and the cork's not super tight or is getting a little old or something like that, it can oxidize. Um, and which case will just kind of evolve the flavor and it might not be as good. Um, in a few years, I'd say if like 
any bottle that gets down to below a third, when you start getting to that quarter bottle left, you may as well drink in the next few months because it's not going to last that much longer at the same profile. And then the kind of the last thing that can happen is if your cork's gone bad, you can get some evaporation. So like depending on the environment in which it's stored, you could have a lot of the alcohol evaporate out, but unless it evaporates out to where it's like under 10% or something really low, it's still going to be kind of safe from any harmful bacteria or anything. So basically no. For, for all, uh, actual occurrences, it's shelf stable forever. Yeah. Or, um, what, what does an oxid like what flavors does oxidation bring to a spirit? That's a tricky question, you know, cause some oxidation happens in the barrel and the oxidation is something that's kind of required for the chemical reactions that age spirits in a positive way in the barrel. They're typically not looked on positively after it's in bottle. Um, it's just kind of a different thing. I don't really, I don't really know how to describe it. Eli would be really good at describing it in beer. It's one of his specialties. Is yeah, I mean, I can oxygen. recognize it in a beer. It, like, yeah. You don't want to taste it. Like it, it's definitely. It's not, it's not really that offensive in a bottle. Okay. And of, of a bottle of hard alcohol, it's not like that. But it's certainly like, you might just try, try a really old, really low bottle of whiskey after some time and just not think it's very good anymore. It's probably just because it's like way too oxidized, but it takes a lot longer in hard spirits than it does in something like beer or wine, you know, like wine gets oxidized. If you leave it out for two days after it's open, that's not the case. It takes a long time for it to make a, like a severely negative impact, but it's more likely to happen when there's a ton of room for air in the bottle. Okay. That's kind of the, the crux of it. So, I mean, ultimately just, drink it and then go get more buy, buy things to drink and if you bought them not to drink then just leave them closed all the time and you're probably good either way cool all right max is there anything else you want to cover or um i would do? like to give a yeah just kind of a big union collective wide shout out um the winery uh the wine collective is baltimore's first urban winery and they opened the weekend that hogan shut the state down originally uh so the timing couldn't have been worse they have made it 99 of the way through uh the pandemic which uh, credit to them their stuff's awesome their space looks great i'm excited for them to open at full capacity eventually but right now they are open at a quarter capacity like everyone else in the city and uh their stuff's awesome so a lot of cool stuff happening in the collective the beer garden is opening at union um obviously the the charmery is going to open a little later on once uh, the kind of crowd comes back the coffee shop's open the cocktail bar is coming and in a couple weeks you can come stick your head in, buy a bottle out of there and see how cool it's going to be. Get you really excited for being social again. Um, so yeah, the, when, when that building opens at kind of full strength and full capacity, it's going to be one of the most unique, um, places to be in Baltimore city and, and absolutely worth a visit. So much good stuff coming out of there. So just quick shout out to all those dudes, go check out the winery, support them. They're awesome. And, uh, then come check out our new space. Is it uh, is it full at this point, or is there still space available in the collective? I want to say there might be like one space left, but not much. Uh, some of it's not consumer facing. Hopkins has some space in there that they use. Okay, um, but I think there may be one empty space. Although I'm I'm not entirely sure actually. 
it where is your new space right next to or connected to the down by the down by the winery so in between the coffee shop and the wine collective okay on the dock side you want to you don't have to like go through a hallway to find it it's you can get from the uh from the dock side of the building okay so a little little more convenient to get to than um than our space than... where you have to like find your way back there and follow the signs yeah awesome um and i imagine follow you on social media for updates on follow us on social media please buy bottles of our spirit um that is makes a big difference to us believe it or not we (laughs) really love that and need that so please try all our stuff come say hi we're still open as a bottle shop wednesday to sunday um it's we still love having people come in we just launched our the new store on our physical website so we're doing everything on our own website now which from just kind of a a back of the business perspective i'm really excited about personally getting a little more integrated on that kind of uh on the web um and you offer uh pickup delivery and shipping pickup delivery statewide shipping uh and follow us on youtube there hasn't been a new video in a couple of months but i'm about to be able to start filming all sorts of fun content uh and we try and keep it real fun and i really would love to grow very specifically a nice little youtube group uh that i can communicate with so if you want to hang out, uh, you want to make jokes, I'll do live stuff. I'll sing you songs. Um, next time I come on uh, Uncapped, I, I'm committing to singing a theme song upon opening. I'll write you one and, and do it live. I, I'm holding you to that. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, when... That's the deal. You can't have if I If I'm coming on, you got to ask me if I have it. And otherwise, yeah, it then it's a, it's a no go. You yeah. are banned from the show until, until I have a theme song. Done. <laughs> and that, that one has to be also in person. Okay, deal. So I can, uh, I'll pack up all the gear and I can come out to the. We'll do the, it in the cocktail yeah. bar. It'll be awesome. Be a good way to show that off. It could be a, a little, little Maybe mini. We can do a, a cocktail menu rundown. I bet you've never done that on the show where you just, we've got 10 cocktails. We can just go through them. So you're saying have a designated driver for that day? Yeah, you got to bring your audio guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I have never done that. Although I did, I did want to say earlier, like I have emceed uh, um, a few cocktail competitions, and the things being done in cocktails are just amazing. It, it the first one I went to, it just blew my mind because I like I've never been a part of that culture. I'm not, I'm not big into going to bars and ordering cocktails. So like the first time I emceed a competition, I'm like, that is not the kind of cocktails I got when I was in college and. <laughs> It's a whole thing, man. It's so cool. I mean, the, sometimes for the competitions, the presentation gets crazy and they're yeah. revealing, you know, opening the smoke thing to, dude, and there's a glass and it's just crazy. So, um, yeah, it'd be cool. We'll run down the menu. We'll do a tasting. Um, you can, the bartender will be there so we can, can have the interview with me drinking with you and then the bartender talking about how they develop drinks. Um, and I'll sing you a song. It'll Let's do it. It's on the books right. for sometime in the future. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Max. I'm excited to check out the uh, new cocktail lounge when it opens. And I do need to just get to the collective in general because I haven't been to the winery yet. And um, It's super cool. It's great. Yeah, come come see the cocktail gallery. Go to the winery. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, and um, you forgot. You didn't say where to find you. And it's your Baltimore Spirits Co. Everything on all social media, right? 
Vault Spirits Co. is the right. the kind of actual tag, but Baltimore Spirits ought to get you there if you're if you're searching. All right. Thank you so much, Max. Um, thank you for your time, and thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncap Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.